everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Tell Me More, Better Conversations in Healthcare. This is one of our spinoff episodes about the business of caring. So you guys know I love to talk to patients, but I also love to talk to healthcare professionals and consultants about how we can make our entire industry a little bit better. So my guest today is such a knowledgeable expert in leadership and leadership potential and organizational culture. I'm so pleased to welcome Mike Harbour. Mike is the president and CEO of Harbour Resources, and he publishes an awesome podcast called The Lead Up Podcast, which I've been listening to. Uh, by the way, Mike, I love that your episodes are like 20 minutes. That's literally like my attention span. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Christine. Excited to be here. Thanks for being a listener to the Lead Up Podcast. When I when I teach, yeah, I try to keep it 20 minutes or less because that's where people are today. And of course, my interviews are, are a little bit longer than that, but I try to keep those less than 45 as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when our industry, our patient uh, visits are 20 minutes also. And, you know, everybody, patients and providers alike will tell you that's not enough time. But honestly, I do think there's something about that, about the attention span of a human being and how much they can retain outside of that 20 minute window. So, um, so let's get right into it. So, uh, you know, for people who are listening who might not know, I am a physician founder, I started a practice 20 years ago. And when I started my practice, it was just me. I was a team of one. And I had, you know, one helper and my mom (laughs) who did slash does my billing to this day. Um, So there really was no team to speak of. um, And I had no idea what it took or what was important in building a team. So let's start with that. Um, in healthcare specifically, if you are advising a healthcare, let's let's say physician founder like me, who's just starting out, and you're talking about, you know, maybe right now you don't have a team, but you will soon need a team. What should we as physician founders be thinking about before we even start assembling a team of people? Wow, that's a that's a great question. And we could go a lot of different directions. But the first thing I think that that I advise all leaders to do is, is we, we need to kind of think about the future first. Like what do we really want our team culture to be like? And, you know, I'm a believer in kind of this idea of the law of attraction and kind of whatever we put out there uh, we will, we'll, we'll receive, but most leaders, physicians like you, or even leaders when they're promoted to a team in, in hospitals that I work with, they don't really sit and think, okay, what do I want this to be like 12 months from now, 24 months from now, five years from now, that culture, because it begins with that vision first, like mm. how, how I want to create that. And then from there, Christine, it it's, we have to answer the question, what do I need to be as an individual to create that? And huh. And so it begins with our, you know, this culture, uh, leadership culture begins with a being first. I think we have to be a leader, be a caring person, compassionate, be a communicator, which quite frankly, physicians struggle with, right? They go to medical school to be a physician, a doctor, an expert, but they don't learn leadership skills. They don't right. learn this idea of self-reflection about what do I need to be? How do I need right. to treat my team so that they treat our customers the way we want them to be treated as well, you know, creating this great uh, experience. And then the other thing I think, and this is something I teach that 
is going to be a little bit different than what you've heard before, I bet. But in school, you and I are about the same age, Christine. Growing up, we were taught to compete against anybody and everybody, right? Compete for grades. So I'm sure as a physician, you were one of the top students in your in your school. So you were create you're creating for the best grades, creating for the valedictorian, salutatorian, whatever those things are, you you're you're taught to create when you are compete once you get into college. For me, I didn't, I never competed. I competed for the bottom of the grades <laughs> on, the, no. on the sports field, right? I was a football player, a baseball player. I even went to college and played baseball. And so I was competing, 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 competing. And, and the idea of competing is to beat the other person. So we're, we're conditioned as young people to compete, compete, compete. Then we get into the real world, the professional world, and we're asked to be a good team member, be a good teammate, work together, communicate, collaborate. And, and so those two eventually converge. And if we haven't done the self study, the awareness of like, what do I need to change? What do I need to be? What's the, the, the things inside of me I've got to let go of like this idea to compete. Like I love to compete. I'm a competitor. But I have to let go of that when it comes to teamwork, because teamwork is about me lifting other people up, making other people better. When I do that, I get better as a leader. Mm -hmm. Wow. So amazing. So when I was first you know, looking to make my first hire, let's say, and I think this is true of a lot of industries, not just healthcare, but I feel like when I'm building a team or hiring somebody for my team, it's always in crisis mode. It's always like, I need somebody tomorrow. Like who can I just put in this role tomorrow? So there really is an opportunity most of the time, at least for me to look ahead and think, how is this person going to fit five years from now, 10 years from now? So I may have a vision somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind, but you know, my ship has to keep going forward so I need somebody right now. So tell me about that. How, how can you make a good choice in the setting of just crisis, time crunch? You don't have the luxury of like sifting through and picking the best people for the future of your organization. Oh, gosh, this is so good. In my new book, Quit Losing Talent, the expanded edition, I, there's a section um, uh, that, uh, that's titled Deploying the Who Scorecard. Okay. And so obviously I don't have time to teach all of that, but I'll give you some things. It begins before the crisis happens though, Christine, huh. we have to, as leaders, we have to be really clear on our values. Like what do we value as a leader, as a company, as a culture? What are those behavioral values that we're going to hold people accountable to in their performance, the way they treat each other, the way they treat the customer? So it begins with our value set. You have to have a very clear set of values as a leader, as a company, whatever you're hiring to, right? And then from that, instead of hiring the skill fit, we need to hire the who fit, Huh. Who who will fit our culture? Who will fit our values? Because let's be honest, most of the things that you're not doing can be taught and learned. Okay. Now, as a physician, you needed to go to medical school. You needed to learn a deep set uh, of, of tools and abilities to be able to heal people. But in the office setting, the types of people you're hiring for, most of those skills can be taught. But oftentimes what we do as hiring managers is we look for somebody who's got the experience that we need. They they can do the billing, they can do the coding, they can answer the phone. 
uh, but we never really find out how they will do it, who they are, what is what do they value, and are those values a match? So typically what happens is we hire them for for their skills. We fire them because of who they are, because they just don't <laughs> yes. really fit our organization. Oh my God, so, yes. So what we do, what we have to do as a leader is it, when we're not in crisis mode, we need to spend some time reflecting on what are our values, what behaviors model those values, how, what what would a good person, a good who fit look like versus a good skill fit and begin to hire for a who fit versus skill fit. You can teach those things. Um, it takes a lot of time, but here, to your point, Christine, most people never think about hiring somebody until they need them. Like right now, I need a warm body. I need somebody that can breathe. And then those those individuals, sometimes we get lucky. You know, we might get lucky and get the perfect person, but nine times out of 10, that never happens. And they're not really a good fit. And they end up creating more problems for you from a leadership standpoint. Now you've got all of these issues that you've got to deal with because you've got the wrong person on your team that creates dysfunction among others or for your customers, or they do things wrong. You've got to rebuild, recode, any of those things that are there. So that's, I think it begins with before you're in crisis, spend some time thinking about who are the types of people that really make my culture rock my company grow so that I don't have to think about I the goal is is that you get to stay in your strength zone as a physician and do mm -hmm. patient care versus all the other stuff that you have that you don't want to do yeah wow great point like don't get in crisis mode in the first place so uh, it's so interesting that you say that Mike because I so in my business and in my practice you know, there's a lot of areas where we have what we call the revolving door of employees, just rapid turnover. We can't get people to stick. And some of it is, you know, intentional. Like, for example, we have medical scribes and our medical scribes are always kids that are transitioning to go to medical school. So they're in college. They want experience. And we know we're going to have these kids for one year and we celebrate that. And we're like, great, let's get the next batch in. And there are some roles in our office where we're like, God, why can't we get people to stay? But when I look at the people who have stayed, so I have, you know, half a dozen people or so have been with me since the beginning or 15, 16 years, right? Mm -hmm. They are people who learned everything on the job. Mm -hmm. They are not people who came to me with skills in the healthcare industry. And it's so, I've never even thought about it that way. Like my right-hand person, my practice manager, Claire, She's a master baker. Like that was her, you know, first thing. And she's a she's a great medical assistant, but to manage a gigantic organization, that was not on her resume. But she's the right kind of person. So what you're saying is, you know, if you have the ability to do so, be really careful about picking the who and then teaching them the what, right? Yes, and that's it, exactly so, right. Sometimes you could do that. Sometimes you just can't. But um, no, that's that is excellent advice. So let's talk a little bit about when you make a bad decision. As I've made, I think everything I've learned in business, I've learned by making a bad decision. Um, so, and unfortunately, I've learned a lot, <laughs> a lot of bad decisions. Amen. So, and one of the things that I really struggle with as a leader, and maybe you have some insight to this, is so. You hire someone, you think kind of, you know, honestly, usually you have an instinct that maybe this isn't going to work, but you hope for the best, right? And then over time, it really does become apparent like this is not good. Like this is just 
you know, at, but at that point, you're like, well, I've already invested so much time, money, energy in this person. Let me just see, like, can I do this or that? And you just kind of like, it's like throwing bad money after good. So do you have advice, have advice for leaders like us who are like, when do you cut the line? And when do you really just keep trying to invest in a person that's kind of giving you the vibe of this is not going to work? Yeah, great question. Uh, you cut the line as soon as you know. Uh okay, so <laughs> Uh, because if, if, if in your gut, you know, it's not right, there's two things you'll never give them your best because you're always questioning whether they're the right fit. Right. And so you become less than effective as a leader because you don't trust them. You're not communicating well, you're not expecting great things out of them. You're expecting good, bad things. And, and, and so again, I'm, you know, as you can tell, I'm kind of a, we got to look in the mirror first as a leader. Yeah. You know, I, I tell leaders all the time that the, the best appointment you can make is with yourself in the mirror. You got to have an appointment with the mirror. And so what, do, what, do, what, do, what am I afraid of? What am I not letting go of? Okay. The, the second thing is, is what you have to have a plan. I teach, I teach this in my book. I call it activation. Okay. When I think about activation, but let's just say a patient comes to you, Christine, and they're severely overweight. They've got di diabetic issues. They've got heart issues. And what you need to do as a physician is get their, get them activated toward better health, right? Activated toward eating better, taking care of their blood sugar, maybe getting some exercise, drinking more water, whatever those things are that you're going to prescribe to them. But you've got to activate that. But you don't do that all at once. You don't just say, okay, we got to do this crash diet. You got to go exercise seven days a week. You got to drink, you know, 15 gallons of water a day. I mean, you're not doing that. You're starting them out with baby steps, right? Baby steps. So now let's take that to the employee uh, situation. When you hire a new employee, you need an activation process. A lot of companies call it onboarding, right? I call it right. activation. What can, what can I do to activate the potential of this employee? And it and it's got to be a ninety day plan. So your your business, your office manager, or your practice manager that you mentioned, you know, the first thing I'd ask her if I was talking to her is show me your ninety day plan to take a brand new employee, and get them off the runway to mastery in the first 90 days is there is there 90 days and, and look you may be saying well we don't have 90 days worth of things to teach them no you don't but you've got you've probably got four or five weeks but you repeat that because the repetition is the mother of all learning right we need to repeat that training so they become a master at it like you as a physician you didn't learn it one time and you were a master you've had to do it over and over and over so that you become a master at your trade and so when we have new employees instead of just throwing them into the workforce and letting our current employees like, well, they're lazy. They don't show up. They don't mm. ask any questions, which is typically what happens. That's a cultural issue. Older employees uh, kind of talk down to new employees. They call them lazy. We have this major issue in our environment right now uh, about millennials are lazy. Millennials don't want to work hard. Gen Zers don't have enough attention span. Gen Zers are so <laughs> distracted, which is all true. But we raise those millennials we raise those gen zers right so what are we going to do to step in lock arms with them help them be successful give them the right answers and if you have a 90-day plan christine if, okay this is what we're going to learn week one this is what we're going to learn week two this is what we're going to learn week three if we can't get them there then you know okay, I need to cut bait here. I, I've got to cut the line because they're just not going to get it. But if we don't have a system or process to measure their learning, to measure their willingness to grow, 
then we're like you, we're saying, well, maybe we can make it work. Let's just give them a little more time. Let's give them a little. And then we get to day 99. <laughs> right. <clears throat> now we got to pay unemployment on those people right. because we went past that 90 day mark. Right. And so it's, right. it begins with an activation process so that you can make a decision before it's too late that, hey, you're just not a right fit for us. Right. Right. Oh, I love that. We, you're right. I was th cringing a little bit because I'm like, dang. We have like a two week plan <laughs> and then like you're flying and you're right. I mean, I think if we really look at our worst hiring decisions, they're almost always terminated within that 90 day period. So if we just had a better plan and we're watching more closely, we've saved a, you know, a lot of heartache, a lot of money. And honestly, it's bad for morale, which is the next thing I want to talk to you about. So you have this core group of amazing people in an organization, mm -hmm. right? And then, but your organization grows, right? And you need to bring in more people. But sometimes one wrong hire kind of starts to, I, I think of it like a cancer, right? Starts to just infiltrate this, what was a core group of good people. And mm -hmm. um, that you could start to see, and I've seen this in my practice, start to see the morale go down, the quality of service go down, patient complaints go up. And, you know, it's not subtle, like it's pretty obvious. So as a leader, how, do, besides not hiring that person in the first place, besides cutting the line as quickly as possible, how do you undo some of the damage that's done by the wrong person infiltrating in there? Like, how do you walk that back? Yeah, great question. I want, I want to first, before I talk about walking it back i want to talk to you about your team first i mentioned competition earlier in in our conversation about how we're we're conditioned to compete against one another one of the first things we have to do as a leader is to make sure that our current employees aren't competing with this new employee they're oh. collaborating they're helping that person be successful and so we as leaders have to spend time with our current staff, the ones that we love, that love us, that will do anything for us to make sure that when we bring a new employee and they're doing, they all know the activation plan, that 90 day activation plan, they're doing everything they can to help that new employee get off of the runway, get out of the nest, whatever you want to call it, to activate their potential. Everybody needs to be a teacher. Now, not everybody's like that. Some people will sit back and say, God, that person's just lazy. I don't like the way that person dresses. I don't like their hair. I mean, so they're getting this competition mindset, right? We're, we're in, and they start criticizing all of these little things. Now, that's the first thing we have to do as a leader is to make sure our team understands when we get a new employee, they're here to help you, help them help you, help them help you. Okay, that's first. So I would, I would kind of step into that with my team. Now, you asked, how do we walk that damage back? I think the first thing we have to do is, Again, going back to that 90-day activation plan, if you have a plan, you can make decisions much faster and say, hey, I made a mistake here. We we hired we hired the wrong person. Uh, we thought they had the skill, but they just weren't a fit. So I made a mistake. So you own that mistake. You apologize. You may need to bring the team together uh, and ask them some questions. Okay, what did we like about this person? What did we not like? What do we want to see different in the who, the next person we hire? Who do they need to be? What are their behaviors? And, and so you bring them into that conversation with you about the next hire versus kind of a lot of hiring managers, what they do, they hear their team complain, we need help, we need help, we need help. 
they go out and hire a loan kind of out on an island by themselves. They bring right. this new person into the, onto the island yep. and that person has got to survive. Now we're playing the new employees playing survivor. Like right. who do I need to build relationships with here to survive this new island? Right. And mm-hmm. what we have to teach our team is, is, Hey, when we bring a new tribe member in, let's help them survive. Let's teach them the tools. Let's, let's be a good team member, but join me in making sure that I'm asking the right questions. Maybe even do some team interviews. I talk about that in my book, do some team interviews and let, let more people get involved in that interview. Uh, But that'll help resolve some of that, those morale issues, because when they're involved, Christine, when, when our team's involved in the interview and the selection, they'll be more bought in to helping them be successful and survive the island, so to speak. Wow. Amazing. Such good advice. So yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, we really do need to get better at apologizing. That's a very hard thing to do as a leader. Like, I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah. My bad. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, allowing people to maybe participate in what you may think is one of the most important decisions in your organization, the, the payroll decision. Um, but if this is the person that's going to be working on this particular team, they really do need to have some sort of voice uh, before they start being brought down by the wrong person. That is excellent advice. You made a great point there. You know, we as leaders, we often make a payroll decision, but really it's a morale decision. It's a culture decision. It's a productivity decision. It's a, it's an employee satisfaction decision. It's a customer experience decision, which all those things impact the bottom line. Right. And so I think as leaders, we have to start seeing these decisions, not just as a, you know, we're plugging a hole and, and we're making a payroll decision. It impacts that entire thing. And so who else do we need to bring into the conversation to help us make the right morale decision or the right customer service uh, decision, whatever those things are? It's just, it's kind of looking at things a little bit differently. Yeah. So you mentioned the customer experience, Mike, and this is an area that I think is such a great area for us to close on. And it's, in my opinion, one of the most important. So I focus a lot as a physician on my patient experience in my organization, you know, everything from how clean is our office? How comforting is it? Is there a coffee machine that works? Like all these, what seem like little things to make our Mm -hmm. patient experience better. Um, And then we do a lot of you know, customer service training with the people who answer the phone, the MAs that room the patients, the clinicians that are seeing the patients. We invest a ton of time in that. And it seems like that should be enough for the patient experience. But I, until very recently, really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the employee experience, right? Mm -hmm. The experience Mm -hmm. that my team has within my organization, sort of on the other side of that desk. So How important, and I know what you're going to say, I just want to hear you say it, but how important is that the team experience for the customer, and in my case, the patient experience, and why, and how can we foster that? How can we create Mm. better employee experiences that translate into better patient and customer experiences? Wow. Sorry, a lot. I know it's a lot. It's everything, Christine. I mean, it truly is. When our employees enjoy their work, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, let me let me say this. And some of your employees, uh, I want I want you to ask your employees to listen to this because they won't like absolutely say they won't like what I'm about to say. But it's important. My job as a leader is to not to make you happy. 
Okay. I, happiness is something that is internal. And so I've got to do work within myself to make myself happy. My job is, as a leader is to create an environment, a culture where you can enjoy your work, enjoy your coworkers. Okay. So that's my job as a leader. Your job as an employee is to find your own happiness and find your ability to work together with other employees. Now, first I want to say that. So I, I, hopefully I take a lot of pressure off of leaders because we spend a lot of time trying to make people happy and we can't. Right. Yeah. But what we can do is focus on the culture, creating a culture of caring yeah. and compassion and collaboration versus competition, mm -hmm. okay, which I've talked a lot about today. Our when our culture is one of collaboration, one of compassion, one of caring, that translates to great customer experiences, right? Because first of all, we're all energy. You feel my energy before I ever say a word. And so when yes. a customer walks in, if I'm in a bad mood, I don't even have to say anything. It's on my face. It's in my body language. And so we have to spend time creating energy of positivity, uh, energy of caring, uh, energy of collaboration. That's where your job as a leader is to kind of, you know, get in and how are we talking to each other? Uh, how are we doing these kinds of things? And then helping our employees understand that the customer, you, you, may, you may be mad at your spouse, but you, we have to leave that in the car when we come into our office because the customer feels that. You may not ever say anything about your spouse at work, yeah. but the customer is going to feel your energy, right? So I talk a lot about energy. The energy projection that we put out there translates to customer experience. So I spend a lot of time in customer service even when I'm teaching training customer service. I have a program called Quit Losing Customers, and I talk okay. about this energy and our energy projection. How can we get our energy right? So I'm going to teach you four things real quick. Uh, one, I teach from this platform of called Soar and Serve. Okay, Soar is I have to start on purpose. So before I get out of the car, what is my purpose? Why am I here today? Am I here to let everybody know I had a bad argument with my spouse or my kids are in a bad mood or whatever those things are? Or, or is my purpose to, because uh, when the patient comes to us, they don't care about any of those things. Their, their purpose is to get healed or well or find out what's going on with them. So my purpose is to create that experience for the customer and create a great experience and collaboration with my coworkers. That's, that's one. The O in SOAR is ownership. I have to own my attitude. I have to own my energy. I have to own my, uh, the way I communicate with others. Christine, you're not responsible for the way I act. I'm responsible for the way I act. Now you may be a bad communicator. You may yell at me and I don't like that, but I'm still responsible for how I act and, and, and own my attitude. Okay. That's the O and soar. The A is I have to act like a leader and what leaders do, even if I'm an employee that maybe my only job is to work the front desk. I don't have a leadership title, but what leaders do is they take someone from where they are to where they need to go. So a customer comes in that customer needs to know, hey, where do I go to the restroom? Where's uh -huh. the where's the where's uh -huh. my patient room at? So what acting like a leader means is I take people where they need to go. I don't leave them. Oh, just go down that hallway. You'll find it. No, that's not acting like a leader. And then the R is I have to really, really care about mission, values, and people. You notice I said values again. What are the values of our team? How do we collaborate with one another? I need to care about my teammates as individuals. They they do have lives. And sometimes I need to step in and say, hey, Christine, seems like something's going on in your life today. What is it something you need to talk about? Can we talk about that? Can I help you with that? So I need to really, really care about people as uh, first of all. That's how we translate that to the customer experience. Soar, start on purpose, 
ownership, act like a leader, really, really care about mission, values, and people. Now, as a leader, we have to talk about that every day. What's our purpose? Why are we here today? How, how are we, what's our attitude like? Are we owning our attitude? Maybe we have a customer patient that's mad. They didn't get their test results. They wanted whatever. They're not, look, they have emotional issues going on when they get a bad diagnosis or whatever. They're not responsible for our attitude. We have to realize they're going to have bad days. We can't let that turn into a bad day where we project that out onto the next patient. Yeah. Are we acting like leaders? Are we really helping our customer? Are we helping our coworkers? Are we helping them move to a new place of attitude, a new place of responsibility? And then really, really care is the final one. Uh, I'll share this. So I, again, those two go hand in hand. As, as employees, we have to quit saying the customer made me feel that way. The customer made me mad. Our customers have health issues, and anytime any of us have, I just went through a major health issue myself. I herniated a disc in my back. I was on oh, bed no. rest for for two weeks. I was on crutches for another three. It's emotional, right? I mean, you have all this. I wasn't sleeping well. You know, I I'm, I'm short fused. All of those things, right? When a customer in healthcare, when they come into us, they have emotions going on that they're responsible for, but we can't let that make us act a certain way. So I don't know if that's if that answers your question, but those are just perfectly, some of the things that I teach. Perfectly. So kind of just piggying back off that, I know we're going to close with that, but the, well, this is yeah, what we'll no. close with, Mike. Um, you talk a lot about <clears throat> the employment brand, right? So you mentioned, you know, Apple and Chick-fil-A and the customer service and what what attracts us to those brands. I mean, I, I'm a Apple person too. We have Mac everything, right? So I love the product. I love the customer service. I love the quality, but why do people love to work for a place like Apple? Like, is it for me? I'm like, I'll just give you more money. Like that's my answer to everything. Like here's more money, but what else is it? What else can we do besides throw money at people? Because one, it doesn't work. Two, at some point you can't keep giving people more money. Right? So mm -hmm. what are the other things that, that create that positive employment brand that people like, I want people to say, I want to go work for her. What is that? Or is it a thing? No, no, it's absolutely a thing. I, you know, I, in, in your referencing one of the podcasts I t did recently and, and um, in my book, you know, we have to, as an, a company, as an employer, I call it a mad statement. What makes you mad, right? No, it's, it's make a different statement. What, what's our purpose? Okay. What is our purpose first? People are attracted to purpose more than money. Money still fifth, sixth, seventh down the line of why people uh, stay with us. Okay. Now, here's the mistake a lot of people make, Christine. When employee leaves, often they ask, well, why are you leaving? Well, I got a pay raise down the street. That's right. not the real reason they're leaving. It's just an easy way to say, I got more money. They don't really want to yeah. tell you, Christine, your leadership's horrible. The culture uh, sucks here. I don't like my teammates. They Now they'll tell me that. They may not tell the boss that, right? When we, right. Do, when we do culture surveys. So money's still fifth, sixth, seventh down the line, depending on what survey you look at. So what what is our make a different statement? You know, Apple has a very distinct make a different statement, right? Chick-fil-A, um, 
uh, Mercedes Benz. I mentioned several in there. What's you know what what does their make a different statement? This is kind of that purpose. What are we all about? That attracts people. Oh, because most people are attracted to something bigger than themselves. We spend a lot of time saying the generation behind us is selfish. Well, it's because we haven't given them something bigger than themselves, right? right. So first of all, it's that purpose that make a different statement uh you know the other thing is is the values they want to stand for something so i talk a lot about values what are our values how do we hold people accountable to those how do we help people grow within that value set we make decisions we don't make decisions based on oh my god we're not making enough money this month oh wow we got a bunch of money you know we don't make decisions based on the ebbs and flows of our income we make decisions based on our values one of the things that healthcare really has failed in over the years, especially in the hospital world, is money's tight. Let's do a reduction in force. Oh, money's better. Let's go hire all those people back. Now we hire them back. We expect them to be loyal to us. See, right. they're making decisions based on the economy, not the values. And mm -hmm. so when you have a very clear value set, it, I'm not saying you may never have to do a reduction in force, but you're doing it from a set of values, not a, not the economy, if that makes right. sense. So yeah, it's a totally. set of values. They also, the other things that help people uh, stay with us is uh, mobility, like they don't have to leave to get a promotion. They don't have to leave to learn something new. We create uh, skill development, cross-training. We promote uh, upward levels of, of continuing education. We, we, we help them grow as a person. We maybe even teach classes on how to balance a checkbook or how to do a retirement account, how to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse. These are things that help people grow, not only professionally, but personally. These are all things that we can do differently in our cultures that create a, a brand that people are attracted to us. And then, you know, one of the, one of the pieces I talk about in my book is when they do leave us, they sing our praises because we've treated them so well. They may still leave because there's no more, more upward mobility here or they're, you know, they move, but they sing our praises. They become a recruiter for us out in the marketplace because Christine Meyer is a great leader. You're going to want to go work for her because she treats our employees with, with, uh, with value. She helps us grow. She helps us become better people. That's what an employment brand is all about. Huh. Wow. So here I am thinking like, oh, everybody gets a paid lunch hour. Like I'm doing pretty well, but there's so, so much more to it. Um, as, as someone who employs a lot of people, I really appreciate your insight. This is so helpful. And, and honestly, this is selfish. I feel like I just got free advice from you because <clears throat> we're always trying to do things better. And sometimes, I mean, I know medicine. I could tell you all about your herniated disc, but I don't know a lot of these things, especially this, this concept of employment brand. I love that. So uh, immediately I'm going to put some things in into place and see how I can make my employees feel more valued. And, you know, make sure, I, I mean, our purpose, I think in healthcare, I'd like to think is pretty clear. Like we're here to serve our communities and mm -hmm. take care of patients. Right. Um, but you're right. Sometimes the economy of it gets in the way and, and obviously employees perceive that. Um, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with Mike? And our listeners are two groups of people, physicians and healthcare professionals which are usually in some position of leadership um, and our patients. So, you know, very specifically, like to our patients, do you have advice for them on how to feel out uh, 
a practice or healthcare organization's culture before deciding like, this is my place, this is where I'm going to get my, my health taken care of? How, what can patients sort of sense when making a decision like that? Yeah. Wow. Great question. I may step on some toes here, Christine. I hope not to. I, I want to, first of all, I want to, I want to say this. Yes. I gave you some advice. You invited me on here to do that, but I want to, I want to give you one last piece of advice. Don't do it all. Like pick one thing, right? Like when yeah. I was talking about your patient that has health issues, we don't want them to do everything. We just want them to make small habit changes over time. So I gave you a bunch of ideas, pick one or two and make that a new habit. And then you can add another and another and another, because here's the problem in whether it's in our diet or in our leadership, when we try to do everything at once, we get overwhelmed and we quit within about 20 days. Right. You know, no, you know, we, we, we don't, we never make it to the day 21 or the day 30 or the day 40 that creates a new habit, whatever that is. So pick one thing that's easy that, you know, you can do without a lot of extra work. Okay. And make that a habit. And then you can come back and add another and another and another. Now, let me go to your patient. Uh, one of the things I think the first thing to do, anytime I go into a business, if, if the person that's at the front desk or answering the phone is smiling, I feel that, I see that, I sense that, that's an immediate radar of what the culture's like in there. So, Christine, yeah. your most important person is not you, unfortunately, as the physician. It's the person at your front desk greeting those patients, answering the phone, how they treat them, how they listen to them, the patience that they have in answering hard questions or, you know, getting them to the right place. Now, obviously you're doing the healthcare for the patient, but that person at the front desk or answering the phone is their, that patient's first experience into your office. So as a patient, you know, if you want to know if a, if an organization is really going to care about you, it's, it's usually going to be in that, with that, front desk person or that person in the phone uh, because if that person's doing it well if they're coached well and taught well usually the culture throughout the rest of the team is going to be well it means the physician if the physician is a leader it means the physician is going to be a good listener a good question asker going to be caring and compassionate not always maybe somebody else is doing a great job of leading that front desk but that's kind of a, a radar now from a patient standpoint I would say this Give people the benefit of the doubt too. Yes, when you come in and you have a health issue, you're emotional, recognize your own emotions. You know, my grandmother who who passed away in 98, she kind of raised me, but you know, she taught me and we've all heard this before. Uh, we capture more bees with honey, right? Be nice, care about people, treat people with respect. When you come in as a patient, yes, you've got issues, but those, those people in that healthcare environment, they're seeing 50, 100, 200 patients a day. They've got a lot of pressure on them. So as a patient, I want to give those people the benefit of the doubt too. They do care about me. I need to care about them as individuals huh. uh, as well. So I think it goes both ways. I mean, that's something we're missing in the world today, Christine, is, is care from both sides. Yeah. Oftentimes as the, as the customer, I expect you to be perfect and I can be any way I want to. And we, we have a real problem in our world with that today. So I, I just, I, I like to speak to both sides of that. Amazing. Such good advice, Mike. And honestly, you're right. Like at the minute somebody steps in front of one of our front desk people, if they are crotchety, mean, angry, like I can just see people shut down. And if, yeah. you know, 
if we can all just soften up a little bit in front of each other, I think everybody would do their job better. They'd get better healthcare. I mean, it's it's just everything. Um, thank you so much for being here, Mike. You are an absolute gem. I can't wait to pick yeah, up your you. book. Once again, for everybody listening, my guest today was Mike Harbour. He is the CEO of Harbour Resources, the leadership coaching. He has written a book called Quit Losing Talent. The details will be in the show notes. And he hosts Lead Up, a very cool podcast for anybody who's aspiring to be a leader. Mike, thank you again for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Christine, thanks so much for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Hopefully I had a ton of value to you and your, your listeners. Thanks for listening to The Business of Caring with Dr. Christine Meyer. We want to hear from you. Join us as a guest on our show. If you'd like more information on today's episode or how to contact Dr. Meyer, visit us online at christinemeyermd.com or send us an email at christine at christinemeyermd.com.